0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz.
1: And welcome back, fellow American Patriots and Minimen, yearning to fight anew for our life, liberty, and property, to fight for what matters in the way it matters intrepidly, unitedly, and most importantly. Without subversion from within. If that is your goal, well, you got to turn off all of the subversive voices on the phony right. Tune in only to see our podcast, Daniel Horowitz, your host, back here today for Thursday. And folks, I'm excited. I think you guys could tell it a tone change in my voice. Not because fundamentally things have changed. Not because I can guarantee outcomes. But I do think we have the tools to at least in our sphere... Push for the right issues, the right messaging, utilize the right leverage points, state and federal, and then pray that God blesses our endeavors. That's the best we can do. But this is going to take two things. is going to take innovative thinking on the right, where you're going to have to start thinking beyond guns, taxes, and abortion, new issues, understanding the issues, conveying them properly— and using those leverage points. And then number two, barreling through the fake Republicans, fake conservatives to bring this to that inflection point. This is where I think we are. I think between pushing the right issues, the debt ceiling, the budget bill, it's going to be later this year, and all the state legislatures, we can change the trajectory of this country by the end of this year. Even before we talk about this pathetic presidential campaign, which I don't even care about. That alone we can do. But it's going to take, like I said, innovative thinking. We're going to have coming up a very special guest, Andy Roth, the head of the State Freedom Caucus Network. We're going to talk about how to disentangle the rhinos from our ranks within these supermajority red states, how to focus on the right issues what are the right strategies to break this vicious cycle of failure but it's funny i noticed y- yesterday I got a lot of good comments back from our interview with dan bishop from north carolina and he's one of the best members easily one of the best members in congress but he readily admitted that he knows the vaccines are bad he knows it's not right what's going on but you know not really up on it he's open to hearing new things and it was funny the first thing out of his mouth was the Hamlin case, where, you know, Hamlin dropped on the on the field uh, in in the in the Bills Bengals game. And it's interesting that that's probably the first time a lot of Americans were exposed to this debate. And it's kind of bizarre because that's just one case. We don't even know what happened. but you have all these data points that are just being missed. And this is the sort of thing that you have when you don't have a movement and a party that brings an issue to the forefront. This is why Republicans continue to go back to, and and even the more conservative members continue to go back to guns, taxes, and abortion. That's all they know. But what I'm trying to show is, and we have articles out this week, one by one I want to create a list, state and federal, what we can do. You know, We talk about military reforms, intel, And surveillance, privacy, energy, illegal immigration, medical freedom, one after another, we need to go down that list. And, you know, let me give you an example. Yesterday, Joe Biden did one of the most indefensible things renewed the emergency powers for another 90 days. Another 90 days. And there were only a handful of press releases of elected Republicans against that. That should have been H.R. 1. I don't understand why that wasn't the first bill to speak to what how the American people were so wronged the past few years. That a president, not just to terminate this emergency, but he should never have the power to declare an emergency beyond a short period of time with no extension unless Congress affirmatively renews it. By the way... For those of you who want to push good bills, I'm keeping track of this. It's really funny. So far, 280 bills have been introduced in the House. 60 of them were by one member, our good friend Andy Biggs. Um, just a couple to flag. is H.R. 121, no emergency for more than 30 days unless Congress renews it. H.R. 237 repeals FISA. Not Pfizer, but FISA, F I S A, It's a FISA court. Where they basically spy on Americans, persecute Americans. We saw this with um, the, with, uh, you know, going after the Trump campaign. and it turns out, like 99 percent of the time, the FISA judge will grant them uh, the warrant, and it just demonstrates that FISA is completely broken. Um, HR 98 allows states to develop their own energy. H.R. 92, we talked about this, allows states to enforce immigration. These are the type of messaging bills we need and to start pushing these things in the budget bills, must-pass bills, and again, states grabbing back the power regardless on their own. I just want to elaborate on what I said yesterday. Historically, guns, taxes, and abortion were the big issues. And the reason is, Because everything boils down to life, liberty, and property. And abortion issue was viewed as kind of the linchpin to life. Guns was the palladium of liberty, the enforcement behind protecting all of your liberties. And taxes, it was really property. I mean, how could government interfere with your property by taxing it? Okay, so while you focus on those three issues, you're good to go. The reality is, as much as we might and we are still pro-gun, anti-abortion, and for lower taxes, those issues fail to speak to the strategies to which they destroy our life and liberty and property as we speak. They don't, I mean, they're not even a drop in the bucket anymore. So if we're going to continue only focusing on them, not only, you know, we're going to focus 80% of a legislative session on those three issues, not only will we not solve the problems, but you're also giving cover to the phony Republicans who don't want to deal with the contentious issues of our time to go back to those legacy issues, full voters, and continue to get renominated in primaries based off of them. Again, abortion. Um, yeah, I mean, it's always going to be pro-life, but the reality is that most red states already are going to ban them, so that's, we should be done with that. And as we noted, they are killing more people now with biological agents that you cannot avoid like you can an abortion, that you don't even know what they're doing. This speaks to the nuance. Everyone knows, every Republican and every person knows you take a, um, a, a suction and a, and a forceps and you, know, you kill the baby. They know exactly what you're doing. People don't understand these nuances. I have an article out yesterday on Paxlovid. That's the, the, the only main drug approved for COVID. You get COVID, your doctor says take Paxlovid. You wouldn't know that that's a dangerous drug. All the stuff they're working on. To the, the whole CRISPR technology, gene editing. This is the bigger pro-life issue because it's being implemented without a fight. It's being implemented subtly. The subject matter is too complex for most lawmakers. And it's a new issue. But that's the way they're killing exponentially more people. There's a study out, um, a recent study of, ooh, I want to say about 350 people, a double-blinded, randomized, controlled placebo trial on ivermectin for COVID. Now, it's not a massive sample size, but it is double-blinded, placebo-controlled, randomized and the statistical power, because of the results, it was a 72% reduction in infection. So this was a um, a prophylaxis. They were taking it for 30 days during that period of time when, when they got COVID. And by the way, most got COVID within five days in that study. So that's why it really, really had statistical power when you have 72% fewer people getting it in the ivermectin group. And... Um, obviously, if it works so well for prophylaxis, likely those same actions if you get COVID to prevent serious illness uh, and and death. And you think of 1.1 million people who died from COVID just in America alone. I forget how many in the world. And, and, And ivermectin, obviously, is monotherapy. We would use about five or six things. Imagine the lives that could have been saved and they blocked it. And this is likely true of many other ailments, including probably to a certain extent, extent certain cancers, that, you know, off-label drugs are being shunned. And then obviously the vaccines. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't get jazzed up by people like Christy Noem who are, I'm against abortion every second, and then they're, they're healthcare fascists. Then you move on to liberty, and you have the gun issue. Again, guns are fun. Guns are good. I like guns. They're good to protect against crime. But they're not going to protect your liberty from the FBI, not alone. You need my idea of state militias, county, um, you know, the whole sheriff's posse program that I think we should be pushing. An interposition at a legal level in red states in order to do that. A one person alone with guns that that ain't yeah, you know, I mean, you know, in in the past you'd have a couple agents show up to your door with muskets, so the chances are maybe you could, you know, have an equal deterrent against them. I'm just gonna tell you, you're not gonna outshoot the FBI. So again, don't be a fascist on every issue, but say you're pro-gun, that doesn't do me any good. And taxes, I mean, give me a break. Deficit spending stopped all that, they just print the money so taxes doesn't starve the beast anymore and that's not nearly you know you know we have more gun protections than ever we have more we have lower taxes than we've ever had in most places and we have less liberty because they're banning bags, they're banning this, they're banning property, they're, they're, they're banning any products and services that work, they're making everything scarce, they're turning us into a third world country, they're, the regressiveness of the progressives. So you could have low tax communism, that's basically what we have today, it just doesn't speak to the issue. So I don't want to hear 80, 90% of legislative sessions being chewed up on those issues. I want to hear the, the, the issues that matter, the strategies that matter, innovative policy entrepreneurship, that's what we're going to push here. And speaking of one of those issues, you know, one of our latest sponsors, Jace Medical, their Jace case, they're offering, if you go to jacemedical.com, offer code REVIEW, REVIEW10, 10, for $10 off at your order, of five different courses of antibiotics. Why do, why do we need that? When did you ever think we would run into a scenario where amoxicillin and augmentin and uh, you know doxycycline are are scarce and you can't get them, and and those are the sorts of issues that need to be addressed? How to decentralize this? Decentralize, um, you know, accessing this stuff. I'm sorry if we're going to be pro marijuana. And things associated with cultural rock gut and are harmful, then you better believe. I'm going to say, look, then be libertarian across the board. But for now, the easiest way of doing that is go to jacemedical.com, kind of the same way we did with Seven Cells. You fill out a survey because they do have to prescribe it, can't just order it. it you, know, you just answer the questions accurately. Uh, within 10 minutes, you'll get a prescription, and then you could fill out your order, and then it will be mailed to you. This full case on board. For those of you who are prepping for the apocalypse, food, fuel, you're not wrong, but you got to add medicine into that um, because we are rapidly reaching a point where critical medications are are uh, becoming obsolete. So, again, fill out the online questionnaire at jacemedical.com. Put in offer code REVIEW10 for $10 off. So we need to get to bo- the, the, the bottom of things like that. Categorical bills. You know, today – they're onto energy, and they have an energy bill to prevent China from purchasing Biden's sell-off of the strategic petroleum reserves. And I think maybe they'll have another bill just bar- barring him from raiding the strategic petroleum reserves. And again, that that that's a gotcha point on Biden. We all agree to that, but that's not the fundamentals. The fundamentals, you know, that's kind of like I'm against lockdowns or something. Um, we need to fundamentally uproot. COVID fascism, and climate green fascism. But Republicans don't want to do that. You see, because they want to still say, oh, I love vaccines, I just don't want mandates. They don't want to recognize the problems. So it's the same thing here. They want to reserve their ability to say, well, you know, there could be some global warming. We like clean energy. That's what they call it. They, they don't say green, but they say clean energy. That's the term Republicans like to use. Um, you know, and But they use carbon neutral, all this stuff. And, um, and this is the thing, like they'll pick the most extreme thing that the left is pushing and then they'll oppose it, but then they'll support everything that we got to this position. So I'm glad that we have this kind of universal outrage of this proposal to ban gas stoves. but remember, it's a trial balloon from the left to push that Overton window to the, to the left. They're not going to fully ban it but look what they've already done. They're banning plastic bags, banning straws. And yeah, we actually, we have gas stoves. We still have them, but they don't work as well as they did like every freaking appliance. We need innovative ideas where we are pushing in the States and the feds need to do this too. We don't have you know full control, but this stuff needs to be in budget bills and everything to allow appliances that actually work to be made. By the way, it just reminds me of another another good bill. Texas HB 1031 by Brian Slayton. It bans the manufacturing and distribution of kill switches in cars in Texas. HB 1031. Take that to your legislator and uh, ask him to introduce it in your state. So these are the sorts of innovative ideas we need to think of that speak to where... Life, liberty is on the line. Where that inflection point, the, the, the swords cross in the era we live in, the fulcrums for determining whether we will have life, liberty, and property. They're somewhat newer issues than what we've dealt with in the past. And that's because Republicans have failed to deal with it at the time. That's the thing. We are only where we are because Republicans indulged global warming the last 15, 20 years, the same way they indulged COVID fascism until they started complaining about some aspects of it. But now's the time to reverse all of that. So we need the few conservatives we have elected in Congress and legislatures to be intrepid, innovative, uh, fearless, and then that's how we need to break up this fake... Your Republican nonsense. I mean, look, look at Texas. Speaking of Brian Slayton, it just reminds me uh, yesterday or two days ago, they had a speaker's election. Dade Phelan, he's the current speaker. He is a rhino's rhino, total, total leftist. He won 143 to three. Every Democrat and just three Republicans, Brian Slayton was one of them, voted against him. So you have to understand that these guys are our enemies. Again, you need to treat them as a separate caucus. You need to treat them the way you would treat the Democrats. Think about Senate Republicans. The, the, the conservative ink, conservative movement strategy was built on a lie that we somehow had a 50-50 Senate or some years control of the Senate when in reality we have a 90-10 leftist Senate. John Cornyn, Texas Senator. Here's what he said. Our friends in the House will have to realize that What passes the House isn't necessarily going to be what passes the Senate. Think think about this. You have the most radical Democrat party in the history of the country. All these radical Democrats. Yet he feels, as a Republican senator, more kinship with fellow Democrat senators than with fellow Republicans in the House. So he's like, rather than like telling Chuck Schumer, you better pass the House bills. We're going to fight for them. We're going to obstruct business in the Senate until we'll filibuster all your priorities until you, you know, allow, uh, you know, floor votes on some of these House bills. No. He's like, hey, shame on you guys in the House. You better, you better tone this down. That's how broken this party is. So if this is the year where we finally rip off that loincloth and expose the nakedness of the GOP, and begin rectifying it and looking at new issues new strategies new messaging um, and new new electoral strategies it, it would have been worth it but I'm just telling you right now I still don't see an impetus for for doing primaries differently. Just today it was announced great suspense who's going to replace the idiot Ben Sass in Nebraska Pete Ricketts so the Rhino Governor helps this Pillin guy, a Rhino, get elected as Governor. So they swap places, and then now he returns the favor and appoints the former Governor Ricketts as Senator. Another corporate shill, you know, wasting a solid red seat, and this is where we go. But there needs to be a resolution. Let me just give you some names that are up for re-election, renomination in 2024. And it's not that far away to begin recruiting candidates. You really need to start now because primaries are usually earlier in presidential years. But I'm just going to say, off the bat, these are the seats that should be focused on. First in the Senate, Deb Fischer, Nebraska, Roger Wicker, Mississippi, Kevin Kramer, um, North Dakota, Mitt Romney, Utah, and John Barrasso, Wyoming. These are all solid corporate shill rhinos. Governors, we have an open seat in West Virginia with the jerk-off Jim Justice vacating that. We need to get the best guy there. Um, Burgum in North Dakota, he's literally a progressive. Progressive, progressive. Partner of Bill Gates, he just gave this um, state-of-the-state address, and he literally mentions Agenda 2030 in it. Today we're on our way toward achieving carbon neutrality. As a state by 2030. This, this is the governor. And, and, and by the way, except for DeSantis, a little bit Kim Reynolds with mainly education, not so much other issues, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders likewise, every other governor, you, you look at their state of the state address or inaugural address or both, they literally sound like WEF bots. You wouldn't even know they're a Republican of any sort. Or they'll talk about cutting taxes or something. But anyway, West Virginia, North Dakota, Spencer Cox in Utah, horrible. Chris Anunu in New Hampshire. Okay, that's not such a red seat, obviously, but, you know, still winnable potentially. Open seat in Missouri. The, The jerk there now will be term limited. And then the jerk in Indiana is term limited, too. I mean, this is where we need to focus. And then, like I said, you actually have 2023, which is literally right now. It's ongoing, the primaries. Kentucky, we don't have a good horse in that race. It's horrible. So even if you wind up beating the Democrat there, which we should, it'll be with Mitch McConnell's acolyte. Um, Louisiana appears to be a case where the consensus candidate so far is pretty decent. I'm not saying he's a DeSantis, but um, Jeff Landry he did a pretty good job as AG. You know, we'll see. And Mississippi, Tate Reeves. Tate Reeves is just, just a total rhino but he's running for re-election. You know what I'm saying like there's no impetus to bring this out. Everyone thinks these guys are all conservatives. How do we stop that? I don't know. I don't know how we stop that. You know, you read Christy Nomes speech. It was all about taxes and banning TikTok. That's the new thing rather than categorical banning all chinese interaction with the state divest from china state doing business with china land ownership we ban tiktok on government devices like okay what you know that that's like their big shiny object now ridiculous utterly ridiculous republicans are also planning a vote to um institute the fair tax and and again like i i don't know guys i i just i'm all for a fair tax or a flat tax i'm all for it but just understand a couple of things first of all with the fair tax you're always getting risk um politically with that obviously we mean to replace the income tax with only a consumption based tax but it's very e- until that's done it's very easy for them to tag you as oh you're introducing a national sales tax you know for them to demagogue that um, and also just keep in mind you know a good percentage don't pay taxes on net federal taxes that is or have a net negative tax liability just know that so any fair tax or sales tax is necessarily ironically going to raise taxes on a lot of people in a perfect world if you keep it a low rate and a fair rate i'm I'm for everyone having skin in the game i'm just telling you the issue with that i, I just don't think taxes when like i said the average family is paying more than easily more than ten thousand dollars in the cost of vital goods and services from cars to food and fuel and appliances and everything under the sun and then worse quality, that's really where it's at, the quality of life issues. You know, Obviously, for people that make more money then taxes becomes an issue, but really, it's, it's, it's not taxes. And, and, and I wish they understood this. We need to focus on the right issues. But also, we must make sure We must make sure that we disentangle the frauds, disentangle ourselves from the frauds. And that's where I want to get to our interview segment today. Now, folks, we've talked about this ad nauseum for so many months already, really years, that we already recognize there is roughly a 90-10 liberal majority in the United States Senate. So you're never going to pass good things through the front door at a federal level. It's just not gonna happen. But then you figure, all right, well, half the states, I mean, are solid red states. They vote for trump. they you know the the Democrat brand is is trash. And they have these crazy majorities, thirty to two in in Wyoming, and Democrats have been wiped off the map in the Dakotas and Idaho and uh, you know West Virginia. And then other states, they have two-to-one, three-to-one majorities. So, okay, you got a handful of rhinos, but there's got to be something we can do, right? But no. I mean, this is what we continuously talk about. You have all these states where you have leadership members um, and even often a majority of the conference, even super majority of the Republican conference, filled with members that make uh, Mitch McConnell look like Barry Goldwater. I mean, that's how bad it is. Um, some of us, some of them will even fight us on the legacy issues, but to the extent they don't, okay, lower taxes, guns, and abortion. And like we mentioned, that's not really where the palladium of life, liberty, and property are given what we're up against. But they'll use them to win in primaries, constantly win in primaries, and we're back where we started. How do we change the game? So, with us today is someone who I believe is probably the best suited to change this game, and he's currently doing that. Andy Roth is the president of the State Freedom Caucus Network. Um, he was formerly the executive director of the Club for Growth Foundation. A lot of you may might have heard of him. We've w- worked in the trenches for years. Uh, there's probably no one alive who has interviewed more candidates. When you look at all these uh, trashy Republicans in Washington, he's very familiar with them because he saw them at the front gate when they tried to secure an endorsement. So uh, this man could really sniff out who is going to be a fighter for our cause, who's going to be a progressive, who's going to be a, you know, a double gamer. And this is the man you would want to take that success he had in interviewing candidates at federal level to a state level and create these freedom caucuses. So we're going to have a little bit of fun today, go around the map and see where are we um, winning, where do we need more... Uh, push from grassroots. And, And folks, this is a perfect partnership where we could come up alongside this project and help these members get out their bills, their priorities, name the heroes, shame the zeros, and really start making red states red again and state legislatures great again. And with us is none other than Andy Roth. Hey, Andy, thanks for joining us for the first time today.
0: Wow, that was a really nice introduction. I'm very humble. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Well, I can't believe
1: it's been this long. It's it's a really a sin of of mine never to have you on before. Um, you were kind of doing quiet work for a little while, but uh, you know everyone's saying, "Well, Daniel, you're calling for this." Well, someone's doing this already. So describe a little bit to the audience um, what the structure and purpose of the state legislative freedom caucuses are and and when you describe it explain a little bit just for clarity's sake what the relationship is with the staff and members of the national freedom caucus that you know everyone's so familiar with from last week
0: yeah so so that's exactly right the house freedom caucus we know what works in congress and that's the house freedom caucus and we saw that on full display last week we want to take that business model essentially which is just get the most conservative members together and get them to organize, get them to plan, and get them to fight together. We want to take that down to the state level. There are 50 states, and you better believe that there are 50 swamps. And in every state legislature, uh, the executive branch is uh, well-funded and well-staffed. Same with the woke bureaucracies that run state government, and same with the special interests. But the legislators themselves, almost all of them are part-time. And, that, and they also have no staff. So when you uh, see conservatives fighting against the establishment in any state, it's no wonder that the establishment's going to win almost every time. And so what we want to do is help state lawmakers, conservative state lawmakers, create state freedom caucuses. And the, the keystone to all of this is to give them staff and give them support communication support, legal support, um, just staffing support, uh, just somebody who will read the bills uh, and provide vote recommendations. And when you put all of that together and layer on top of that a really, really, you know, top flight communications um, component to it, then you, you're, you're going to have a really successful state freedom caucus. And right now we're in 10 states. Our hope is that we can be in another 10 to 15 uh, this year so that by the end of this year, we'll be in half the states. And so far, we are just doing amazing work. Our state lawmakers are just crushing it every day. And I've never been part of a more exciting project than what we're doing right now.
1: No, and and it's mainly red states so far, which is obviously you want to be the most impactful the ones with majorities. So, you know, Georgia, South Carolina, Wyoming, uh, Idaho, Montana, South Dakota, Pennsylvania—probably probably missed a couple there. Um, Mississippi, yeah. Mississippi, beautiful. That I mean, we we desperately needed, and, and I think so. So you touched on one major issue that they're outgunned, outmanned. There's no staff. The executive branch, Department of Health, Department of Education—they just do what they want. They're flush with cash from the federal government. You also have like you know a thousand bills filing through very quickly. The funnel deadline in a lot of these states is very quick. So, both in terms of understanding how to pass good bills and fight for good bills and how to identify dangerous bills, uh, you know, th- th- there's just no focus. There's no focus. Um, and zero,
0: zero, zero. And this is how
1: the Chamber of Commerce, the healthcare cartel, which is usually the largest employer in these small red states, run roughshod over them. And just get what they want. and And that's how you have this paradoxical outcome, right? Where you have these states where the voting pattern is one way, but it is may as well be California. I mean, the the governance is is just out of control. So that is, you know, in terms of helping them. but what what about in terms of the jerseys, like I'm talking about, how do we solve this vicious cycle where they they abstractly, let's say, in the south, put on the southern accent, love God, guns, and babies. They all do this. The governors, the, the, a lot of the legislators. And they're just shills for, for the woke business. I mean, they're just shills for them. And, and we have no way of, of flushing it. So you could have, you know, I don't know, you have 88 Republicans in the South Carolina House. Uh, they have like an 88 to 30 majority or something. But uh, only, only 20 or so are conservative. How do you break that vicious cycle of failure?
0: Well, one thing that your listeners can take away, if there's if there's one thing they can take away from this conversation that we're having, is that uh, don't rely on the Republican versus Democrat numbers in any state legislature. They're absolutely meaningless. I think you mentioned Wyoming's thir- <laughs> Wyoming Senate is 30 to 2. That means nothing. <laughs> it literally means nothing. Uh, the better uh, barometer is... Conservative versus liberal. And since uh, there isn't a conservative party and a liberal party, it's more difficult to ferret that out. So, to your question, the way to solve this is that our freedom caucuses have to be loud. We tell them four things we tell them to vote together, to plan together, defend each other, and be loud. And if you are loud uh, and conservative in everything you do, you're going to get noticed and voters are going to look at their lawmaker and go, why aren't you in the freedom caucus? And then, then the exposure occurs. Uh, One great example is in South Carolina, they uh, were able to uh, uh, get their hands on an undercover video of a state contractor admitting on video that they are uh, pushing CRT in public schools in South Carolina which is against state law. So uh, the South Carolina Freedom Caucus put that video out. There were heads exploding everywhere that they had done this. They then filed a lawsuit against the school districts that were responsible for this. And the whole place goes nuts. But here's the thing, when they did that, that was like a bat signal that went up into the sky and every angry parent saw it Mm -hmm. and they said, Now we have an ally in the South Carolina Freedom Caucus. And they immediately got swarmed with calls like, how can I help? And they also were like, my school district's doing this too. And all of a sudden you now have an army of support behind you so that every time you go up the hill to fight, you look behind you and you've got just tons of coalition support. And so that's just one example. We've got countless others from in South Carolina and elsewhere But that's how you do it. So you're not just a
1: vote. You're a voice. And that's the thing. Too often I had these friends in legislative bodies. They just kind of roll their eyes. Yeah, we don't have the number. Go year after year doing their thing. But this way you have a voice in the sense that you're together. You're a distinct group that has a distinct color on the jersey now. And then the voters could say, wait a minute. All right, I know this is a Republican state, but hey, why aren't you part of the Freedom Caucus? And I'm not hearing you do that. And and you got to pick the fight in order to knock them off their carefully crafted theater of conservative talking points, but then doing the bidding of the lobbyists and in special interests during a session, but then somehow get renominated in the primary. So I'm going to ask you the 800 pound gorilla question. So so what you're doing, what you just stated will create, help create the environment for more auspicious primaries. But are you taking it to the next level and trying to directly engage in primaries?
0: So every time we set up um, a state freedom caucus, we also help them set up a state freedom caucus pack, um, mm. And this is obviously for good reason, right? So if, let's just say South Carolina, if they start – really upsetting the cartel in Colombia they're going to get targeted for defeat in their primaries and so they need to have a pack that will help them protect their own seats now i feel very comfortable that in any seat where we have a freedom caucus member getting primaried as long as the voters know that there is a freedom caucus member against a non-freedom caucus member they're going to win but that pack uh, is also uh, going to be instrumental in getting involved in open seats so that a Freedom Caucus can grow their numbers by uh, helping elect like-minded people as freshmen. Now, there is the nuclear option, like you said, which is to start targeting incumbents. their colleagues. Yeah. Right. And, and we're still only a year old and we haven't gotten to the primaries yet. But that's certainly um, on the table. Uh, uh, on the table that they can do. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, you got to start with the lower hanging fruit, and I think traditionally we've learned that knocking off incumbents is extremely difficult. State legislative level might be a little different, but you know, so it makes sense to start there. Um, so, so here's the thing. Obviously, my big takeaway last week. There's several of them, but one of the big ones is that stopping potted plants in the chamber, make noise, use leverage. And I think it was very exhilarating to watch it. But my question to you on a technical sense is a big part of what is undergirding the leverage of these 20 guys that hopefully they're going to keep intact is that indeed there is a very narrow majority, only a five seat majority. What's, almost ironic and counterintuitive is in these deep red states they're so red that they're so blue so you know they'll have these crazy majorities on paper of R versus D so we could be like all right well we'll obstruct your nonsense until you pay attention to our agenda but they still have the votes so so what sort of what sort of levers of power and inflection points do you think can be used in state legislatures to to make sure our agenda is either, you know, gets a vote and and, and either they join us or at least they're tagged with opposing it.
0: So uh, almost every state legislature um, enjoys operating in the dark. I mean, most voters don't know who their state rep is or their state senator. Um, They don't, you know, follow the day-to-day politics of the session. And most legislative sessions are short, right? They, they gavel in in January, and then they gavel out in April or May, and then they're done. Um, but in those short few months, you do need to be absolutely prepared as a conservative to use every lever possible. And there are several, I mean, the very, the very first thing you do, and we train our members to do this, is read the rule book and, and understand what the procedures are in your chamber. And then, figure out how to exploit those um, the best example that I can give you is just the uh, the ability to offer amendments. Perhaps there's a bill, a bad bill that you can't kill because the cartel is just too powerful. Well, all you need to do is is uh, offer amendments and mm. get the members on record, get them accountable get them on and the record. and they and they and, yeah, and they will not like that. They will scream and howl, and you can say, what's your problem? You're get, you've are you got the votes to pass this awful bill. What what do you care? It, they care because that vote can then find its way on a political mailer and be used to defeat these rhinos and these liberals. And so just getting them to be accountable for their, their votes is the very first thing. I found um, that
1: so revealing, by the way, that in South Carolina, as part of that loyalty oath we've talked about earlier this week um they didn't want the members to take pictures of the scoreboard the voting board and put it on social media and it speaks to what you just said they they really they operate in the dark they know if the if the majority of red state voters would know what these guys are doing they would be outraged especially in this environment uh, people are really upset really red-pilled about what's going on nationally and everything life liberty, property civilization culture values and but but no one knows do you agree with my assertion that you know calling congress is kind of one level but if you drive a lot of calls to offices at a state legislative level there's not so much of a culture in a lot of these states of that happening that that has an outsized share impact
0: oh huge absolutely huge like these these lawmakers rarely get phone calls from constituents i mean They'll get one maybe every day, once or two every day. But if you tell the entire state to flood and melt the phones for the speaker or the majority leader and they get 50 or 100, that just scares them their pants off. Um, So it absolutely does have an effect. Um, I, I strongly encourage. And that is a huge component of what we do. I told a story yesterday on an interview about in Mississippi there is 122 members of the Mississippi house and the Mississippi freedom caucus is just six of them. So they have, if you, if you think about it just in plain terms, they have very little ability to pass anything or stop anything. But a bill came up uh, called the region smart bill that I know, you know, very well, this bill would have given an unelected bureaucracy the ability to raise taxes, levy bonds, and take your property through eminent domain, all in the name of economic development, which is just uh, a nice word for corporate welfare. This unelected bureaucracy would be able to do all that and not be accountable to the voters. It passed the Mississippi Senate unanimously, unanimously, Democrats, Republicans, everybody. And when we talked to a couple of state senators, why did you vote for it? Well, one, those bills just go through so fast, it's difficult to know how to vote on everything. And so you listen to the lobbyists and leadership. But two, in this particular case, um, they were lied to. The sponsor told them that it was just a technical bill, when in fact it was a huge, nasty, awful bill. When it got to the Mississippi House, we were ready to fight. And the Mississippi Freedom Caucus sent an email out to 100,000 people uh, in that state and in Mississippi, that's a lot of people. Oh yeah. Um, and they, and they explained the situation and they said, call the bill's sponsor and melt his phone. And they did exactly that. And the sponsor of the bill went down to the, uh, floor of the Mississippi house and said, stop calling me. I'm killing the bill. Stop calling me. <laughs> so when six people in a legislature of 120 plus another 50 in the Senate, is able to kill a bill just by sending out an email and melting the phones, then you know you've got the power to, to really leverage your your ideas. So I think it's great.
1: So you're bringing the inside out and the outside in. That's always the goal, bring the inside out. People don't know what's going on. And then the pressure of the outside in to make the governing values of a red state reflect the, the, the values of the people and the voters in the state. And I think you're right. I mean – Yes, you have the leverage of a five-seat majority federally, but I I think it's more than just the technicality of it. How do you have 20 beat 200? They're like, you guys are nothing. How do you get all this power? And they're right. They're absolutely right, except there's one thing they're missing. Clearly, the majority of Republican voters, supermajority, sided with the 20, and that's the leverage. Um, I don't think there's anyone I ever saw that was like, oh, that's a terrible idea. I mean, just the opposite. Some of these, you know... People that shall not be named, but these outside, uh, uh, you know, legacy, vanguard, conservative voices, their audience pummeled them. But the problem is people just need to know technically what is and isn't going on. And you guys are providing that service. Um, what would you say to our audience here? So what I've been trying to do is a novel idea. I don't have money. I don't have an organization. But I'm trying, I am trying a website, conaction.network, where people could sign up. I'm focusing on the red states. And if you live there, we'll create a team leader, and he's going to collect all the names, and then form a group, you have a first meeting, and delegate authority of what to focus on, what to push, you know, information to put out, social media, newsletters. At an activist tool le- level. What are some of the most important things that some of my team leaders could be doing uh, with the nuts and bolts? to raise awareness to what is going on in legislatures?
0: So when you mentioned earlier, about bringing the inside out and the outside in, that's the whole key to everything. And the, the thing that we realized pretty quickly in the states where we have freedom caucuses is that for a, excuse me, for a freedom caucus to just really be, you know, on all, firing on all cylinders, you need three things. You need the the lawmakers themselves, the Freedom Caucus. You need uh, donors and just the financial support to help them um, do their job. And then you need that coalition of army, of grassroots support. And when those three things are working in concert together to advance conservative ideals, then they're just going to be unstoppable. So to your point, I think if in whatever state that you have your, your folks, they need to find the most conservative state lawmakers and start working with them and encourage them to start a Freedom Caucus, or hopefully they already have one since we're in 10 states. And then after you've done that, then, um, then the Freedom Caucus, just like up in, uh, in D.C., They will have an agenda for every legislative fight, and they will bring the coalition together and say, these are the hills we're going to climb. Uh, We want you to be with us. And that, I think, is the key to success in every state.
1: Are you only in the House or are you setting this up in in the Senate as well?
0: So it's really up to the members themselves. These are not our freedom caucuses. These are the members, and the members get to decide who's, you know, how it's structured. There are some state freedom caucuses that are House-only, and there are others that are bicameral. Mm. It just entirely depends.
1: Because, I mean, the Senate, because they're usually larger districts, costs more money, we just always have fewer people uh, in them, and that's that's really... I think the next step that we need to really start growing our numbers in the Senate as well. Um,
0: Well, to your point, to your point, you mentioned earlier about how to leverage, uh, how to use leverage in legislative fights. And I mentioned using the procedures and using the rules. But the other thing is you need to communicate with the other chamber and you need to be able to say, you know, I need you to hold up a bill in your chamber so that I can have leverage on a bill in my chamber. And if you're able to develop those relationships, um, that's also another tool that that can help us succeed.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, th- that's the thing. We cannot just be but the Democrats, but the Democrats. If you just look at the states where Republicans never have to worry about Democrats winning, just those states alone, if we would only own them, we would have liberty in half the country. But again, we don't. We're getting there and this is certainly, um, you know, does go a long way. The, the other issue we have is the off season, which is often the majority of the year. Um, a lot of times I spoke with conservatives for years and they pride themselves, oh, we have a part time legislature. And I don't like that because. I'm okay with an 1890s legislature if you have an 1890s ex- executive branch, but when you have an executive, br- a Department of Health literally running our life, liberty, and property up until and including our nose and our mouth and our bodies, and everything, and they operate 24/7, and they, you know, it's basically the federal and state executive branches screwing us. Well, then the legislature is the only redress for the people, and it's like. See, the, as you well know, the way news cycles, the way legislation works, is you you have to capture lightning in a bottle from a news cycle. We see that with transgenderism; Maybe it's been going on for ten years, and we can never get the ball rolling on that. It took an inflection moment or a series of news stories that really, you know, jazzed people up. And it's true on, you know, like I tried to have these divestment from China bills, China buying land. And it didn't go anywhere for a while. Now it's very popular. You need the news cycle. But the problem is th- they often happen when you're not in session. Oh, you know, like, okay, we have the Fourth Reich now, martial law. Oh, whoops, we're not in session now. We can't yeah, do anything. Yeah, yeah. Like we, we saw that with COVID. So what do we do about that? Are, there, are you for changing some of the, you know, we had a couple ballot initiatives. We succeeded in Idaho, getting them the ability to get back in session. That's number one. Uh, without the governor, so you don't have the separation of powers issues. And number two is, even if you're not legislating all year, but clearly there's a need for oversight that we could catch the CRT and the tranny stuff and the fascism in the departments of health and education. Uh, is that something you guys are working on?
0: Yeah, that, that's a great point, because that's exactly what we're doing. Um, a Quick story. Uh, a member of the House Freedom Caucus uh, up in D.C. told me that this back when he was a state lawmaker he was fighting just fighting fighting the establishment fighting the cartel and one day uh, a lobbyist came up to him and leaned over and whispered and, and he said i can't wait for this session to end and you go back home because then we can do whatever we want <laughs> and that that is basically what you just said is that there is so much mischief and so much a parade of horribles that occurs out of session. And so when we set up a Freedom Caucus, we are taking part-time lawmakers and we are turning it into a full-time Freedom Caucus. Mm. And there is all sorts of wonderful things that we can do out of session. Um, our South Carolina Freedom Caucus was able to shut down a transgender clinic. We, they, and all they did, there was no vote, there was no bill. All they did was put pressure on the hospital saying, yes. we're gonna look into your funding we're going to see if any laws have been broken and they folded like a cheap suit. The other thing that we do, and we're going to ramp this up massively, is uh, doing FOIA requests into every woke mm-hmm. agency that exists in every state. We were able in South Carolina to, to file those lawsuits against the school districts that were doing CRT. We did that after we uh, issued FOIA requests. And so even just the threat of a FOIA request is going to scare the establishment. Um, and then also just using your soapbox as a freedom caucus to call out bad actors. If there is a woke professor that is on the, the, uh, tax, on the taxpayers dime, uh, pushing some radical policy at some state college, call them out. If there is a AG or a treasurer doing something ridiculous, call them out. And they will get unnerved because that has never happened to them before, because these part time lawmakers are back at their full time jobs during this in the summer and dealing with their family. And now that you have a full time operation pushing back on them, it's, it's going to scare them to death. And so we plan on doing that regularly every year.
1: I I love it. I mean, this is what's needed because it's long been discussed the asymmetry between the power of the executive branch and Congress, but it's even worse at a state level because Congress is somewhat of a strong institution. Everyone's all excited for these committees and these hearings that House Republicans are going to engage with. But I've always felt like, wait a minute, we should have this all year round in, in legislatures, whether it's formally, informally, but constantly going over. Um, there should not be a single organ of a State Department in a red state that doesn't reflect the values of the state. <laughs> and sometimes it's not a single policy that does reflect the values, but that's where we need to get. Like what DeSantis is doing in Florida, you know, That that I mean, unfortunately, we don't have governors in most of these states to do that, but this is, I think, where you guys could come in. Uh, before we let you go, can you just kind of give us a little bit of a rundown you know, some bright spots and maybe some trouble spots on the map to watch out for, um, you know, and certainly the bright spots.
0: Well, uh, I'll just start with the bad spot. Um, and I think you've been talking about this yourself, but what's going on in Texas is just absolutely deplorable. Uh, the speaker was elected earlier this week by a vote of 145 to three, um, and that that 145 means that democrats were perfectly happy to have him and the and the reason why is because 40% of the committees are chaired by democrats now the texas house is firmly in control of the republican party so you would have to ask yourself why are they giving committee chairs to democrats and and it's and it goes back to our point that the republican democrat numbers in any chamber means nothing. What's happening in reality in the Texas House is that you've got a bipartisan cartel of establishment lawmakers and three conservatives who voted against the speaker. And so that is a big problem down there. And if people wanna wonder why school choice is not gonna pass into law in Texas, it's because the Democrats in charge of the, the education committee. And so that's a, a bad spot. Now we've already talked wait, wait, about so you don't South even have Carolina. enough
1: people to create a Freedom Caucus in Texas.
0: Correct. <laughs> <What the? laughs> I, and and, I, and, and <laughs> I I hate laughing about this, but it's so ridiculous that you have to. Um now I I'm, I'm in contact with some folks down there and it's possible we could get the 3 plus a few others that are, you know, freshmen who who might've just gone the wrong way because they're they're so new to the process, but it's very difficult. And Texas, to our point, uh, they only gavel in every other year. And so that means the stakes are even higher when they're in session, because we're not going to be able to to do school choice uh, in 2023 and we won't have another chance until 2025. That scares the heck and out so, of me, by the way, because school choice is not
1: even on my list of like hardcore issues. That's like any mainstream Republican you would think would support that.
0: Yeah, you're right. And, <laughs> and now is the time because of COVID. Now is the time to really push the ball on school choice because it is such a mainstream issue and Texas Texas, the the Republic of Texas, can't even uh, accomplish that. That is what's that. So so that's a bad spot. But and we've already talked about South Carolina. I think South Carolina. If if South Carolina were a stock, I would be buying it because it's going to get better and better uh, in the years to come because of that Freedom Caucus. And let me just make one more point about why they're successful. It's not just because they've got donors and grassroots support and their own commitment to to winning, which I said was the recipe. But the other thing is that there is a lot of camaraderie and a lot of fellowship among the members. And that's why you saw the House Freedom Caucus succeed in D.C. last week. They respect each other. They enjoy each other's company. They know that they've been lied to for years by their leadership. And so they have forged a bond that, you know, it's it's like being in the trenches. You trust the person next to you. Um, and, and when you're going to charge up that hill, you know, that person's going to charge up too. And so in South Carolina and in our other places, they're only getting stronger because they have each other. And, and that means more than a lot of people think. And so South Carolina is a wonderful success. Um, In Mississippi, there's only six of them, but I told you how good they are. Um, All of our other freedom caucuses are just now kind of getting off the ground, Uh, so we'll see. Uh, Another bright spot is in Arizona. Uh, Jake Hoffman is the chairman there. He could arguably be the governor uh, in four years, Mm -hmm. depending on what Carrie Carrie Lake decides to do. He has been in front he has been at the front of every major fight there. Now, remember, on school choice, they are the the state that made it absolutely universal, regardless of income, regardless of religion or race or creed or color. Everything, every kid in that state will have access to whatever school they can they can get into. And so. He was there on that. Um, in Florida, they said the, the don't say gay bill that passed in Florida. Jake passed that and in a more expanded version. And, and nobody's giving Arizona any credit to that. But it was because of Jake and his team. And so um, I, I think Arizona, if that were a stock, I would buy it, uh, especially because that stock is really low now with Katie Hobbs as governor. Um, but I do think that they're going to climb out of that and be um, better off uh, because they're going to fight Katie tooth and uh, nail for the next four years. So there's a lot of hope around. Uh, like I said, what we're doing is just amazing. You see it on the faces of these state lawmakers every day. I'm very encouraged about what we're doing. And and this is my last point. What the House Freedom Caucus did with McCarthy inspired Everybody yes. it inspired it, it inspired the state lawmakers. It inspired it, it inspired the grassroots. It inspired donors who were experiencing donor fatigue because the 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 election didn't turn out as everybody had hoped. What they did was came at the right time and it was almost divine. And they're gonna be stronger for it. Our states are gonna be stronger for it so i think the future is really bright
1: this is where the future is and it's all about messaging and picking a fight it's not even about the like the technical level levers of power although you do have to utilize them this is long overdue, and it's it's a, it's a shame I didn't have you on last year. But this is really uh, something I want to work with on you closely. I know my audience is really going to appreciate this. And folks, you can email me, Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. As always, if you have questions for Andy, follow him at Andy Roth. Very simple, at Andy Roth on Twitter. Uh, anywhere else people could keep in touch with the State Freedom Caucus Network.
0: Yeah, just statefreedomcaucus.org. Uh, like, it's, like I said, I'm on Twitter at, at Andy Roth. Um, it, but definitely go to our website, sign up for our newsletter or our email list, uh, and look on the map that we have on the front page and see if you have a state freedom caucus. And if you don't, shoot us an email, talk to some conservative lawmakers, just get the ball rolling to help us do it.
1: And, and and some of you I know I get emails from a lot of legislators, people thinking of running. Let me know, and this is something we could work with, um, particularly in in some of these states where we think that the 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 stock price is too low and we're underutilizing the culture of the state. It's time to make red states red again. State legislatures great again. Our revolution began with state legislatures, and I think the reaffirmation of that revolution is going to have to go through there. Andy, thanks so much, and I'm sure we're going to have you back again very shortly.
0: Hey, it was a pleasure, Daniel. Uh, Blessings to you. Stay safe. Take care.
1: All right, folks, was that terrific or what? I mean, you're not going to find too many people like Andy with such a deep knowledge of politics, policy, individuals, I think he's interviewed 2,000 candidates for Congress over the last 15 years or so when he was at the Club for Growth. So he's really he really gets it um, very well done. And again, I think this is the building block for finally this counteroffensive, uh, the creation of these state freedom caucuses in conjunction with what just went on in Washington. All we need are these teams for people to get involved in the right states. Um, team leaders willing to, you know, work with a few dozen people, division of labor to to give a megaphone. So first you pitch the ideas, to the best members, hopefully they take it. Um, you only have, you're only as good as the best members of your chamber, which are better in some than, than others. And then, you know, block bad stuff, push good stuff. Remember, the most people in those states agree with us. The thing is, almost all of the donors and lobbyists are in the other direction and and this is the tug of war and that's why they can only operate in darkness if people know this is going on forget it they don't want it um but this is where the power is this is where the power is and this is something we're going to focus on you know let me know if Obviously, I cannot keep in touch with every red state legislature and everything that's going on. So feel free to email me, danielherwitz at startmail.com. Tomorrow, we'll get back to some more federal stuff, a very special guest tomorrow as well. Let me know your thoughts and questions for Andy. Until then, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.